Let's talk about prayer. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where you'll find the most popular rendition of the Lord's Prayer. If you are from a liturgical background, like Episcopalian, Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, if you are from a liturgical background, you learned some things even by accident. You didn't mean to. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and there in the Presbyterian church, every single Sunday, we said the Apostles' Creed. And I learned it. I didn't mean to, but I learned the Apostles' Creed by accident. Yesterday, I preached uh, my Uncle Earl's funeral. <clears throat> he died uh, last week. I preached his funeral yesterday. He is a United Methodist. His family is United Methodist. Everybody in that room was a United Methodist. Actually, most of them have left the United Methodist Church and tried a, a more conservative Methodist. But anyway, there were a bunch of Methodists there. And I was the only Baptist. But I grew up a Presbyterian, and I knew a little bit of their code language. I knew the Apostles' Creed. And we said the Apostles' Creed. And the other thing that you learn if you go to a liturgical church, even by accident, is you learn the Lord's Prayer. You can be the biggest pagan. You go to church long enough, you by accident learn the Lord's Prayer. What I'd like to do tonight, our, our time tonight is designed to talk about praying the Bible, and we'll do that near the end. We'll pray through Psalm 29, and you have a, a card here. This is really a great help. Uh, did everybody get this card when you came in? If you didn't, pick it up on the way out. What you have here is a list of every day of the month, and you can flip over, and today is the, what, 29th? Today is the 29th, and this is designed to help you pray a psalm of the day. So you could go to Psalm 29 or Psalm 59 or Psalm 89 and use that as a prayer guide. It's very helpful, especially if you're like, you get to the end of your quiet time, you haven't spent any time in prayer. That's a really good way to help you pray. So take that with you, stuff it in your Bible somewhere, and... Um, and maybe use it. I'd like to take the Lord's Prayer tonight and spend it as a template, the way it's designed. But before I get there, <clears throat> I'd like to talk through some of the broad definitions of praying. If you had to define what praying is, what would you say praying is? If you had to say it out loud. Communication, somebody else said what? Speaking to the Lord. Let's say it like this, that it's talking, talking to God. Praying is talking to God in direct address. Talking to Him from your mouth or your heart to His in direct address. In fact, if you were looking at my journal, it opens up oftentimes, dear God, like a letter. I'm talking to God. What prayer is not, prayer is not meditation. Prayer is not reflection. Prayer is not sending good thoughts. See it on Facebook, somebody dies and are in trouble or has cancer and their friends will say, we're sending prayers and good thoughts your way. But don't send prayers my way, send them to the Lord. Prayer is not sending good thoughts. Prayer is direct address. God. It is, I think the other word was communication. Prayer is the communication of the human soul, communication of the human soul with 
the one who created the soul. Well, this is the opportunity we have. Direct address to God. It is communication with the soul, communication of the soul with the one who created the soul. So prayer can be, it can be public, it can be private. Prayer can be audible. Prayers in the Bible can be silent. You see Nehemiah doing that. A prayer can be formal, like thought out, even written down. Because of our free tradition as Baptists, we, we don't really like written down prayers. But written down prayers can be beautiful. The Valley of Visions is a book of, of uh, Puritan prayers written down. They can help you think through. Sometimes when I'm writing <clears throat> my journal, it is a prayer journal. I'm actually writing them out. So prayers can be formal. Prayers can be informal. Clear Branch Baptist Church in Lincoln County, Mississippi, <clears throat> every Sunday morning when it came time to take up the offering, there would be two guys who would walk down the middle aisle and just pick up the plate and pass it, you know, an usher does. And then once they have it, the two guys, or two deacons, only had three, uh, as the piano played, would, would march back down the aisle together, stand there in the front. And once the music stopped, I would call on Brother Earl Gay. There's one deacon. Earl Gay, would you say the prayer? And that prayer was not a formal prayer. That prayer really was not thought out until right then. Or after church, I would do the same thing. When church is over and we've sang the last song, that's when uh, the tradition was the pastor would call on anybody in the congregation to say the closing prayer. And you didn't know who's going to get called. So I would say, Mr. Butler, would you close this in prayer? And if Mr. Butler didn't want to pray, Mr. Butler would say, I defer to Burnell. And he would pass the buck off to Burnell. And once you're deferred to, you got to pray. It was a little game. And all those prayers would be informal, informal prayers. Broad definition is communication with God, is direct address to God. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be spoken. It doesn't have to be private. It can be public. As we think about that, <clears throat> let's talk about a broad method of prayer. And I'm going to sound a little bit legalistic here, and I don't mean to. <clears throat> but the method of prayer, how do we pray? Well, James chapter 1, verse 6, uh, has something important to say about praying. James chapter 1, verse 6 says this, Let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable, in all his ways. When we pray, we pray in faith. We believe. One of the necessary uh, pieces of prayer is it's offered in faith. You actually trust God. Believe him. Now, I want to talk about how you speak prayers. <clears throat> it is not wrong to say, dear Jesus. It is not wrong to ask the Holy Spirit but when we pray, we are praying to the Father. When you, you'll see it when Jesus teaches. We pray to the Father. We pray through the Son. 
we pray by the Spirit. It, it, that's a good method to remember. It helps us understand that we go to God our Father. We do so because of what Jesus has done for us, and our prayers are guided by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now, it sounds legalistic to say, if you pray, don't pray like that, you're wrong. That's not, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Don't go out here and say, that preacher says you can't pray to Jesus. That, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is an element of it that helps us to think through how it is we're praying. It reminds us that we do not deserve to actually go to God the Father, but because we are in Christ, we're able to do that, and the Spirit has empowered us to, to pray. It's good for us to have a, a doctrinal understanding. This is, this is a Trinitarian prayer. If you listen on Sunday mornings, I try to remember to pray like that. So we get, this is the Trinity. We are Trinitarians. It's good for us to remember that. So the broad method of prayer is to the Father, offered to the Father, offered through the Son, offered by the Spirit. Now, let's use the Lord's Prayer as a template. If you have your Bible open, uh, if, you, if not, or if you want to pull it up on Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, I'll begin at verse 5, and I want to read it first. There are 10 verses, from verse 5 down to verse 15. There's a setup, and then there is a prayer. <clears throat> Let me start in verse 5. And when you pray, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then, like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. What do we do with this prayer? What does this teach us? A couple of things. Here's the first one. This teaches us that, that prayer is expected. Prayer is expected. There is an expectation that you as a believer will actually pray. When Jesus teaches on prayer, right here in verses 5, 6, and 7, Notice something about the phraseology in those three verses. There is a phrase that you see over and over again. Do you see it? Verse 5, when you pray, you can underline it. Down there in verse 6, when you pray, says it again. Verse 7, when you pray. It, this is a reminder. Jesus has this expectation of his disciples, that is us, that we actually will Pray. There is a clear assumption from the Lord Jesus that a regular part of being a Christian is the actual direct communication with God the Father. 
It's spoken of. It's preached on. I mentioned it last week. We know that. It's just not done much. I have an app on my phone. Uh, I, don't, I didn't put it there. I don't know how I got there. I don't know how to get rid of it. It, it just involuntary, involuntarily shows up. And it tells me the screen time. Y'all seen that? Like how, well, how long I've looked at something. And I'm going to tell you when it hits. I preach the 8 o'clock service at uh, Harris, and when I'm on the way here to the 10 o'clock service, typically on the way right as I get in the parking lot, something buzzes in my pocket, I pull it out, and this phone telling me how much time I have spent on what. Like if I've looked at Instagram or Facebook or I've looked at classifieds, I'm usually looking for something. Uh, if I've done that, it tells me how long I've spent doing that. What if we had an app that said how long you've actually prayed? I mean, look, we're, we like to do. We like to do. We like to uh, help. We like to serve. We like to work. Uh, we like to give counsel, give advice. A lot of us like to study. We like to read. I mean, we like to read. What I like to do in my devotional time, I just I, I, I get jammed up with time because I spend so much time reading and look at my watch. It's like, oh gosh. All right, I'm gonna say a quick prayer. We like to do all of those things, and we we forget to actually insert genuine, actual, genuine direct address to God the Father through the Son. So here's some. Uh, <clears throat> here's some thoughts you need to make it part of your routine the routine when do you pray well in the mornings I need that time where you spend time with God and actually unrushed uh, with your own devotional life if you if you sleep till you're jammed get up and go and you don't have time then you need to get up earlier it's that important and you set your alarm a little earlier and if you have the snooze on the alarm the last nine minutes uh, put it on the other side of the room or before, for me and Connie, before we take a long trip, we go to Mississippi a lot, and we drive there. It's ten and a half hours to go see your folks. Or if we go on vacation, it was usually a long way off. We're driving, and uh, before I put the truck in drive, we ask the Lord. This is part of our our routine. Uh, find some pieces, some parts, or in meals. If it's before meals. Where you know I got to ask God, I need to ask Him to help here. Or if you're riding in the car by yourself, that's a really good time to pray. I have been uh, been having to do that. My car is in the shop. You guys may have known I got hit from behind. My Mustang did, and uh, I put a picture of it. I had to keep the trunk lid down with duct tape. While you saw that, and it's in the shop right now. And I was forced to go and get a rental car, and they tried to put me in a Toyota Corolla. It's a mid-sized car. I brought it's not a mid-sized car. So we had this long debate about what a mid-sized car is. So I said, look, can you just not have mercy? Just have mercy on me. And so he put me in a Toyota Camry, which is not, a, I mean, it's a nice car. It actually rides good, uh, good gas mileage. Uh, but it's not what I would pick to drive. And it's helped me spend some time praying just about my own soul and pride and humility and the Lord disciplines those he loves, and today I'm his favorite sort of thing. 
or uh, a good a good time to remember to pray is when you uh, it, when you rise and when you lay down. So you might put rise and in repose. When you get up in the morning, even if it's thank you for a, the night of sleep that I got, even if I didn't sleep the whole night, thank you that you've given me adequate, I trust that it's adequate sleep for the day. Help me today. A lot of times your alarm can help set the uh, tone. I have my alarm set right now. Anybody here remember Steve Green? He used to travel with Billy Graham. Remember him? So Steve Green has this acapella version of a mighty fortress is our God. And it is unbelievable. And that's what I've set for my alarm every morning. So for the rest of the day, I'm singing a mighty fortress is our God. Uh, I'll pre- play it for you later if you'd like. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have you heard it? Y'all heard it? It's so good. Like if I could remember how to cry, that's how, that would make me cry. It's a great alarm, a uh, great alarm. So think about getting up in the morning or when you lie down at night. When you lie down at night, it's good to say, Lord, thank you for getting me through the day. Help me sleep tonight. Thank you for a soft bed. Or maybe it's not soft. Thank you for the bed. Or if you're getting ready in the morning, it's good to, to if you're looking in the mirror and shaving, if you're a guy or and whatever else girls do, to ask God to help you. Or, or, or the, what I like this, the right, the right now of prayer. One of the great things you can do when somebody says, will you pray for me? And I have to remember to do this and sometimes forget is to do it right then. It is one of the most refreshing, uplifting things to have somebody say, can I pray for you right now? Let me pray for you right now. If you'll do that, they don't expect that. Uh, that is a really good, otherwise you might, you might forget. Prayer is expected. Prayer must be genuine, though. Let me give you the second point here. Prayer, prayer must be genuine. There's a key word there in verse 5 that the Lord uses to teach us. The key word is hypocrite. Do you see it? <clears throat> and when you pray, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Then he tells us what they do. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Their reward was people think they're really spiritual. That's their reward. Jesus says, don't be like that. Pretending to be something that you're not. You know, I lived in Mississippi all those years, seven, almost eight years. I'm from Charlotte. I had not been in the country like that. And uh, there was an expectation of, of a lot of things that I failed to meet their expectations, but there, there was an expectation that I would hunt. I wasn't a hunter. So they bought the gear for me, and, man, they go all out. Uh, I had a rifle. I bought it at, from my brother-in-law. He's now my ex-brother-in-law. So I had a 30-30 rifle. had a scope on it. First time I shot it, I got too close, and it put a scar across the top of my eyeball. They told me how to shoot the gun, and I had all of the gear, all of the camouflage, the orange vest, everything. I had everything that would make you think I was a hunter, except I wasn't. The hypocrite, you see. And what Jesus is saying here, when you pray, you're not doing it so that people see what's on the outside. You're doing it so that God will hear you. You go to, uh, if you go to Luke chapter 18, it's the, it's the story of how does a hypocrite pray. Jesus tells this parable of this sinner and the 
the Pharisee, they go up into the temple to pray. One man is a Pharisee, the one is a sinner, and the one is praying to himself, God, I thank you for all of the things that he's done, that I'm not like other people, I'm not like this sinner, and the sinner's praying without looking to heaven, God have mercy on me. And the parable is, one man came down from there that has been made righteous. And, and Jesus says, I like to, I mean, what does genuine prayer do? Genuine prayer humbles us. Some of the basic prayers. Uh, some of the basic prayers. Show yourself to me. That's, that's in the Bible. Show yourself to me. Reveal myself to me. So God, show yourself to me. God, reveal who I am to myself. Some self-awareness would really help a lot of believers. Or you, you might uh, pray something like this. Do whatever it takes in my life to make me yours. Write that down somewhere. Do whatever it takes in my life. Strip whatever needs to be stripped. Break whatever needs to be broken. Take away whatever needs to be gone to make me yours. See, a hypocrite, here's the difference. A hypocrite wants to be known as a person of prayer. But a prayer wants to be known by God. I don't want to be known. I don't want to be known as a person of prayer. I want to actually be one. Prayer, it must be genuine. It also must be personal. It's always personal. You find it in verse 6. It's always personal. I mean, let me, when I read verse 6, as, as you read... You have to ask questions. So you ask who and where and how. So let me read verse, verse 6. <clears throat> but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, who do you pray to? You pray to your Father. Where do you pray? You go into the room and shut the door. I think it's good to have a place. My house is not big. It's 1,900 square feet. I got a little small office that's filled with books and a desk, and you can't hardly move around. That's where I go. So I have a place where you can go. How do you pray? You pray in secret. Some people think uh, Jesus may have taken this from the Old Testament. Isaiah 26, 20 says, Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourselves for a while until the fury has passed by. So we go and speak to God. It, you certainly can pray throughout the day. You certainly can pray in every circumstance. You certainly are called to do that, to be in an attitude of prayer. I do think there is something really good for our own souls when we set aside this appointment to actually begin the day with God. So that uh, you might give words like this. Our prayer is to be intentional and to be guided. That's where praying the Psalms helps. To be guided. I think it is to be scheduled. Doesn't mean you can't pray other times. It means that you know you, though, you, you, know you have a special time. And that time should be protected. So prayer is always personal. What else about prayer? You find this in verse 7. Prayer is fully engaged, fully engaged. Look at the colorful language. 
fully engaged. Look at the colorful language that Jesus uses in verse 7 to describe bad praying. Verse 7. <clears throat> and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. See that little phrase? Heap up empty phrases. Logeo is word or phrase. Batalogeo. The, the way it's, if, you, if, if we were like real fluid in Greek, we would hear it. It's written with an onomatopoetic tone. Onomatopoetic. That means it, it sounds like what it is. The most classic version is buzz. It's buzz of the... So he uses, Jesus uses this great word to describe just babbling on and on and on and on. Just babbling and babbling and babbling. It's the only place it's ever used in the, New the whole New Testament, right here. Jesus uses it. Think about, uh, think, about the, uh, think about Elijah on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal and how they're cutting themselves and just crying out and babbling on and on. Or think about the, uh, the modern day speaking in tongues. Modern day speaking in tongues. Uh, um, Mom bought a Honda, should have bought a Nissan. You say that real fast, over and over. Mom bought a Honda, should have bought a Nissan. Say that over and over. You sound like somebody speaks in tongues. Or Shandalahaya. Sounds like you're, are you speaking in tongues? I, I think that is not, that, I, I don't think that's honoring to the Lord. I, I think that when Jesus talks about just babbling over and over again, it has some of that. Because the, the way that the Bible teaches about prayer and the way Jesus teaches about prayer is that prayer is several things. <clears throat> Let me give them to you. Prayer is intense. Prayer is lucid. We know what we're saying. Certainly there are times when we're, they're groanings that are too deep for words, but that's the Spirit giving that. But when Paul talks about praying, you do so, you, you do so with your mind, you see. So praying is intense, it's, it's lucid. Prayer is direct conversation with God. Now this doesn't mean that we shouldn't repeat prayers. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that prayers are focused and thoughtful and intentional. I mean, what if, just, I think I may have said this even Sunday. <clears throat> what if we live like this? What if we live like this? So every problem is a spiritual problem. What if we said, every problem is a spiritual problem? What if it were true? Every problem is a spiritual problem. What if we only got what we asked for? Or what if we only got what we thanked God for? What if we lived like everything that we're going to receive tomorrow actually does depend on God doing that and us asking him? There's the sentence in verse 7 where Jesus talks about prayer, it is fully engaged. You get to verse 8, you find out that prayer is, is also, it's theological. Like that's a lot of the reason why I try to do the whole Trinitarian approach. I, I want us to, like we don't abandon theology, we run toward good theology in everything. Like we have a theological reason for the things that we do, the why behind it, and prayer is theological. I mean, verse 8 is an unbelievably theological statement. Verse 8, 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now you just start wrapping up some theology there. Verse 8 says, Jesus has told us that God knows what you need. I mean, what a great statement about the sovereignty of God, about the trust that we can have in God, about His love for you as a child of God, that He knows that, that He has examined your life to the degree He knows what it is that you actually need. It's good to be reminded that God is in control of all things, that our lives are theological statements in that regard, that, that God knows us in and out better than we know ourselves. Right now, He, right now he knows your heart rate. He knows your cholesterol level. You get older, your cholesterol level goes up, evidently. That's what the doctors keep saying. I got a friend uh, who I play football with in college. He called me last night about 930. We were having a conversation about getting old. He was a great football player. We played together, roommates. And uh, he, about his cholesterol. He's having to take this cholesterol medicine. He can't get it down. He eats red meat. He gets overweight. And the intricacies involved in, in a doctor knowing that, and I thought God knows that about everybody. Every one of us, all of the vital signs, that he knows your needs before. So your frustrations, your weaknesses, your shortfalls, your temptations, the weaknesses that you don't know that you have. Prayer is not information for God. That's why I sometimes run into trouble when I do it like a journal because I think I'm giving information. Prayer is not information for God. He knows what you need before you ask. You know what prayer is? Prayer is a, it's a submission. Prayer is submission to God. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is a voiced dependence on God. Prayer is trust in God. How you pray, how you pray is a theological statement. If that's the case, then, then prayer is built on a relationship, a relationship. You see that in verse 9, you, you, the relational nature? For, for a prayer to be good and right and, and worthwhile and effective, it must have at its core the understanding of a relationship. Pray then like this. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Two things that make this relational. Our is plural, Father is direct to someone. Our Father, you are not in this by yourself. Jesus redeems not just individuals, he, he redeems communities, families. It's good to remember that when you pray, that you are not alone. I don't mean that you're not alone, that God is with you. That's true. You're not alone because people are with you. This is our Father who is in heaven. A relationship with God through Jesus when, when you pray, you are speaking to a Father that loves you unconditionally, irrevocably. We, we are not addressing someone that we don't know. If you want to write in the margin somewhere, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and Romans chapter 8, verse 15, those two verses talk about how we once were slaves to sin and we have become children of God. How, how we used to be slaves to sin, we have been 
redeemed out of the slave quarters, brought into the home, and made children of God. That's the visual. <clears throat> and there are two words. I don't want to get derailed. Two words about this verse. The, the first word is eminence, eminence. And the second word is transcendence. Eminence is he's close. Transcendence is he is far away. So eminence, he is my father. He's our father. Transcendence, he is our father in heaven. He's not like any other father that's ever been on earth. He's completely perfect. So it's good to have the two understandings. We don't want to fall over on one side or the other uh, like a drunk peasant on a donkey that falls over off the donkey one side or the other. You want to be right in the middle. That's probably not the best analogy, but you understand, right? You'll be right in the middle, the transcendence and the eminence, the, 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 the holiness and the closeness of God. Prayer is built on a relationship, and it's strengthened. I just Let me go down that road. <clears throat> this is the seventh point. It's strengthened by reverence. Man, that's, a, that's something we miss in almost every capacity is reverence. Look at the prayer. Jesus teaches our Father in heaven Hallowed. It's an old word. Hallowed means to treat something as holy. Hallowed be your name. Treat that name like it's holy. I mean, there, there are certain things in life that we treat as, uh, as sacred. There are certain things we, we, I mean, we know some of that. <clears throat> we treat as, as precious. Nick, Gentile, and Meredith had just got married. Nick's our student pastor here. Uh, the, you, if you watch the ceremony, it's done at this venue. It's beautiful. The vows that are said, wedding vows, are sacred. Like that, I mean, we still, we, you don't have to be a real formal person to say that's sacred. Or, or newborn children, babies, like a toe divine, like a baby's here. I mean, we see them as, like, special. I don't want to hold a baby. I'm afraid I'm going to break it. Like, I mean, we're, they're, they're sacred. We understand to treat something like it's sacred. And Jesus says, when you pray, it's our Father who are in heaven. Hallowed is your name. Your name is sacred. I treat that like it's sacred. When, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, He's teaching us to put great value on the name of God, to actually take that seriously. Uh, we, we, we hallow the name of God. Thomas Watson, great Puritan, had 16 of these. I'll give you just about half of them. He says we hallow the name of God when we, when we profess his name, when we profess it, when, um, when God is the highest place in our, place in our thoughts. We hallow the name of God when we trust him, um, when we repent, uh, when, when we worship. We come together on Sunday mornings and this, this coming Sunday night, we make the name of Jesus holy through worship. When we obey him, I think one of the ways we, you do it, when you stand for truth, one of the ways that we that, that our prayer is strengthened through reverence is, is, is 2023 going into 2024. We as Bible-believing Christians, I, I really, I feel like I'm, I'm getting more and more conservative, and I don't think I'm changing. 
feels like the world's changing around us. And pretty soon I'll be called a fundamentalist because we've held on to these fundamentals, right? To, to hold on to the truth in 2024, it becomes this idea of saying this is sacred, you see. And what does prayer do? Prayer is strengthened by, by that kind of, of reverence. Prayer also aligns us. I'll give this as a maybe an eighth. <clears throat> prayer aligns us with God. Aligns us with God. That's what the ver- that's what the prayer is. You know the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. So Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. And he's teaching them to seek greater purposes, the greater purposes of God. So he's teaching them, when you pray, seek <clears throat> the greater purposes. When, when Jesus preached, he preached the kingdom of God is here. We need to get our mind off of things that are just not going to matter. We need to get our mind in prayer off of the things that don't matter and on the things that actually do matter. What, what matters? Well, uh, the gospel matters. The mission that God has called us to matters. Evangelism, sharing Christ with people, people matters. Living lives of holiness matter. Teaching our children, I, I think Wednesday night matters. Teaching our children, what does the Bible say? Teaching our students uh, truth matters, making sure we have a good grasp on the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, bi- biblical literacy matters. Actually, we open up the Bible, learning what the Bible says, and that strengthening our souls, it matters. A- asking God how you can be part of the kingdom matters. What does prayer do? It aligns us with God. Jesus said, pray like this, your kingdom come. Prayer, let's take another step. Here's a ninth one. Prayer submits to God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So think about that phrase. I want the will of God to be done right here on earth in the same manner it's done in heaven. How is the will of God done in heaven? It is done absolutely flawlessly, perfectly in heaven. Okay? I want his will to be done perfectly here to to get to ask God to take complete it is a it's a happy submissiveness to the providence of God in your lives it's a happy submissiveness to the providence of God when those providences are hard when they are easy when they're smiling when they're frowning when they're difficult when you're in a Mustang or you're in a Camry it's, it's, it's your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It, more seriously, it's the prayer that says, I want your will done no matter what it costs me. That's the prayer. I care more about what you want than what I want naturally. Do, or you might pray this. Do whatever it takes to honor your name in my life. God, do whatever you must do in my life to honor the name of Jesus. That's a submission. It's a hard submission. It's a submission to God. And then 11, 12, 13, 14, or 11, 12, and 13, 
um, prayer reminds us of our, our need. You see all of the things listed, our need for God. We forget how we need. Give us this day our daily bread. <clears throat> Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'll give you four, four places we have need right there in verses 11 through 13. Prayer reminds us of our need physically. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Our physical needs. Yesterday was a long day. Uh, the, went to the funeral home around noon to meet the family, to be there, to greet them as they come in. They didn't have a pastor. <clears throat> I was it. When you're, the, when you're the preacher in the family, you, you say all the blessings and do all the funerals. That's what I was doing. And so I was greeting the family coming in, lots of friends there. And uh, preached the funeral, took forever to get out to the cemetery. Sheriff's deputies took us out there, and they were playing Dukes of Hazard on the way. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, they escorted us out there. Got there, finally stayed with the family for a little while. Mom and Dad, they're gone. I got home 3.30, 4 o'clock. I hadn't had anything to eat. So I said, I'd like to have some lunch. So Connie and I sat down, had a typical lunch, sandwich, chips, and that sort of thing. Well, if you have lunch at 4 o'clock, when are you going to have supper? So I was like, baby, I don't want to have supper at 10 o'clock, but I need something to eat. She said, what about some cereal? I posted, y'all see, I posted some of this, yeah. I said, that sounds great. What you got in there? And she said, I got some Fruity Pebbles. I said, baby, pour it. I'll take Fruity Pebbles right now. <laughs> and that would have been a good time for me to say, uh, to thank the Lord for the daily bread. But we don't think about it very much. We just automatically, because we live in a land of plenty, and the physical constant provision that it takes to keep you living. It's good for us to, to, to remind our, that we stand in need of God delivering that physically. We also stand in need spiritually. Verse 12 is spiritual. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sin. Forgive us our trespasses is how we used to say it. Forgive us so, so think of the cost. What is the debt there? Okay, my sin was so bad that the Son of God died on the cross in my place, that the wrath of God was taken away. So there's not any sinner worse than that. If I've been forgiven, then I extend that. So it's spiritual two ways. Spiritually, make my heart tender to be opened up to the forgiveness of God that I might be restored but also make it so that I'm growing as a Christian so that I can look at a brother that's offended me, someone that's hurt me, maybe abused me, but because of what God has done in me, I can forgive that. That's spiritual. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens through prayer. Jesus says, pray that. You ask it like that. Not just physically or spiritually, also directionally. I use the word directionally. You see it there in verse 13? Direction. Lead us, that's the word, there's direction, lead. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look at the, lead us away from where the sin's going to be, and when the evil comes, come and scoop us up, run. Deliver us from, from, from evil. It's good to ask the Lord to direct the steps of your life. Make it so that when you walk into a place where there's going to be something that is dishonoring to him, that he would quickly move you out of there. 
that he would close, the, close your mouth so that you won't say things, maybe your eyes so you won't see things, that you will get out of a situation. It's directional. Asking God for the clear direction. And then I'll just tack on one last one. Uh, prayer reminds us of our need for God eternally. We need him eternally. That's verse 14 and 15. Jesus tacks on this forgiveness. There's this fruit of forgiveness. There's this evidence of forgiveness in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. It, it's the picture of a heart that understands mercy and grace. See, this is a heart that understands what it took for you to actually become a Christian and be saved, to know what Christ did for you, and it, it reduces and takes away pride. You realize that it took this immeasurable grace, and, and because of that, the evidence of that is you are able to extend grace to people. The least judgmental person on the earth is someone that understands what it took for you to become a child of God. You, you, you find out, I have no cause. I'm not, I can't condemn. I extend grace. And there's a picture of our need for God when it comes to our physical life, our spiritual life, our directional life, our eternal life. Now, I hope that you'll take some of this, the Lord's Prayer. You probably know it by heart. And even if you don't have the Bible in front of you, the phrases of the Lord's Prayer can guide you as you pray. This is given to us by the Lord Jesus. You can trust it and ask God to work in each of these, these areas. Let me say a word of prayer. I see gentlemen in the back, Mr. Marshall Barry and also Steve Adams. It's just a very quick call to order. And, uh, and just vote on the budget. You saw it last week, and it's, it won't take but two minutes, not even that much. Let me uh, pray, and then I'll allow Morrison Barry to lead us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is good, for time together as brothers and sisters. We ask that you help us to learn to pray in Jesus' name. Amen.